Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. I'm your host, Brian Bikey, and joining me tonight, we're actually getting some new guests on tonight. Eh, no, we're not. We're still sticking with <laughs> Kenny and Ryan. Guys, how you doing? Fake out. You're going to hear some <laughs> sulking okay. tonight. We've been going over a couple of potential episodes to, to come up in the next little bit, and we might have a couple of guests on. You might hear just little old me talking about some of the other episode bottles or other bottles that we want to talk about. So we have some things in the works that might change up the cadence a little bit. But until then, you're stuck with us here on Behind the Pursuit. Guys, what's been going on? Oh, lots. Got, we're getting ready for batch three. I'm actually been dialing it in, fine tuning it, getting ready for bottling week. How'd the live stream go? I saw you did a live stream the other day where you kind of went over the components and talked about, you know, what you were, where you presently were with batch three. Yeah, it went really well, I, I think. Um, you know, it's kind of weird talking to a screen to yourself and you're like, is somebody, anybody listening? Is, <laughs> am I rambling? What about, because I'm so used to like at least talking to Kenny or you or someone on the other side, on the other side of a screen instead of just rolling comments that I'm too ADD to pay attention to. So uh, um, it, I think it went well. What in the goal with it, that and uh, actually did an in-person event was well, I'll back it up even further. Pursuit Palooza was kind of our first time. Kenny and I presented, you know, the individual components of the United Blend allowed guests to and get an inside feel, taste, look of how we developed the United Blend. And it, we got a lot of good positive feedback. And so I think our goal is to refine that, make it a an amazing experience for people that don't know much about us to, to share our story, you know, with folks that may not know who we are or what's in the blend or why they should try us. So uh, we're trying to refine that process uh, and that, and I'm trying to learn how to present and whatnot because I'm uh, not a very good presenter, but uh, one day I will practice and get better. We'll get you taken care of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things that it, it, we had a great opportunity to be able to do that pursuit Palooza. That was kind of our beta test of, of whatever it was. We didn't rehearse or anything. So we kind of just went in and just winged it like we always do. But this is an opportunity now that we can kind of refine it, template it, and then hopefully we can take it out to market and maybe go to meet at a few different key cities around the U.S. where we're distributed and be able to kind of have that same experience in person because it's a one thing to try and go and say, oh, you should try this bourbon. Uh, it's blended by these two tater podcasters. But it's another to sit there and actually get the breakdown. I, I remember the first time I did something like that, it was with Four Roses and I got to do a breakdown of the limited edition small batch one year with Brent Elliott. And you really got to taste all the individual components and then figure out what it was at the end that brought it together. And I think that's really, it's a unique experience that resonates well with a lot of people because you kind of start piecing together how this all came together. And so I think that's a, it's a really kind of a unique thing that we can do and be able to bring that to people instead of saying, yeah, we just had some extra barrels of uh, some Indiana bourbon and we put it in a bottle and put our label on. And I hope you, I hope you like the the nutmeg taste on this one. <laughs> yeah. And it's well with Palooza too, it, it, we're presenting to our fans. And so they kind of understand our story and they're whiskey fans. So they understand like somewhat about the process and how things work. But like the other day I did it for a group of my friends and their wives and it's amazing like how little they know. And so you have to like, okay, 
let me take a, a few steps back. They're like, what does barrel proof mean? How many years does it take to get to barrel proof? And you're like, wait a minute. No. Okay. Let's back up, you know? Explain uh, so it to it's, me like I'm five. Exactly. So it's, it's interesting how, you know, when you have different audiences and different knowledge and like, how do you like not make it so complex that a common consumer would be like overwhelmed, but you don't bore the whiskey geek, you know? So it's kind of like a, you know, how do you find that happy medium? Here's a little, it's a little side question, I guess. Hopefully it doesn't detour too much from the main topic. And hopefully it also doesn't seem like a ugh, jab right at the jugular, but, but on that topic too. So if you're, if you're doing this tasting for a group of your friends and they're just, you know, kind of unaware about it, what's the big draw point to not throw in that stuff from Indiana in a bottle and saying here, how do you like it? If, you know, are we dealing with a majority of people who don't know or care where it comes from, you know? That's very, oh. it's very valid that you could, you could do that with literally anything. I think that becomes a thing that we have to look at for our audience and our story and how it's going to resonate with them. We know that our audience is very well aware of sourced Indiana liquid the vast majority of people out there, the other 98% or other 99% of people, they probably don't care. And it's one of those things that, gosh, we have, we've always made things really hard on ourselves. You know, starting the brand on Source Tennessee bourbon, right? That was the first uphill battle. Uh, you know, second one is trying to do this, you know, United project instead of going with something that's tried and true. I mean, it would have been a lot easier just to go with a particular bourbon that everybody already loves, that's easy to come by. And it doesn't really take much in the blending process to kind of figure out like, oh, okay, well, we can take 12, 15, 30, 80 barrels of this and we can have some kind of similar product and we can get it out there and we could small batch it and scale right away. Um, we've been taking the hard route every single time and we just have a more or less a consumer education thing that we'll have to work on. I mean, it's just a, you've got to be able to tell the people your story. You got to be able to get in front of them. You got to take the time to make it happen. It's going to be, you know, what would be considered like a slow drip. It's going to have, it's not going to be, as Ryan says, it's nothing's going to be an overnight success. And this definitely won't be either, but it's going to be something that we have to continually try and plug away on and have to hand sell bottles until the point where people start knowing about it and people tell their friends and friends tell their friends and, you know, you got three friends that tell 10 friends and 10 friends after that. And then all of a sudden you, uh, you kind of have a runaway hit. Hopefully that oh, it's a multi-level marketing scheme. You didn't tell ah, me. You got me. Damn it. <laughs> the whole time. Kenny's at the top. <laughs> Just milking us no, all. No, no. The pyramid starts over here. I think it's a story though, that once you tell it, you know, like my friends and stuff, I mean, obviously they know who I am and, but they had no idea like how complex and nuanced and how much is involved in what we've done for this brand. And they were like, that was so interesting. Like, you know, they came away, like they, they, they felt like they understood the product even and the story even more. Uh, at least that's what the feedback was. They gave me. So I think it's going to be long-term. It's going to be a great thing for us, but it is going to be a challenge to build those connections and stories with, you know, the general public. Cause gosh, five years ago, it, if I had a crystal ball, we should have bought all the MGP. We could have, and <laughs> at you know a thousand bucks a barrel, we could have bought three year old MGP, four year old MGP, and as much as we wanted of it, and we'd be sitting pretty right now. And but I think long term, this is the better way to go. And I, I kind of wanted to lead in with that question 
because you know here we are at the time of this recording we're really close to the next bottling run so we we're kind of getting into just current status update and i want to talk about some of the things that are currently going on or getting ready to go on but then also some of the decisions that you all have chosen to make for this brand what kind of position they put you in 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 the immediate well we've talked about some of that already uh starting with the glass that we chose we've we've gone over that in a previous episode about the issues of actually sourcing, getting, and finally getting it. I believe we should have our container land soon. It should be this week. I know by the time this comes out, it should have already landed. Uh, fingers crossed that the corks fit and we don't have an issue with it. I think that's the biggest thing that I'm, I'm worried about. If not, this will that. be the last Behind the Pursuit uh, <laughs> yeah. episode we do. So enjoy. Yeah. And and also dovetail on what you were saying earlier, Brian. I mean, I, you know, the, the reason why we do this podcast as well is to help scale and amplify the message of what we are doing and hopefully create those connections with our, our people that, that, not only just listen to Bourbon Pursuit, but also you know purchase Pursuit Spirits products. So we want to make sure that we are giving some little uh, you know openness and, and kind of being able to kind of see behind the curtain of really what's happening. And so hopefully that creates a connection. We can do this at a little bit larger scale instead of you know hand selling at you know ten to fifteen people at a time. You know this can reach a couple thousand. So that's that's the way that I look at things is, is how can we hit the most eyeballs as possible. Uh, but back to the the kind of topic at hand when we were talking about just sort of what's this all culminating to we are slowly getting to that uh, to that point um, we did hit a little bit of a snag with our labels but hopefully that's been taken care of so our just to give yeah, just complete transparency and bonehead moves that I make the labels had shipped and I looked at the invoice and I was like ah oh, crap they actually got shipped off to our Memphis facility where we used to bottle and. I sent a few messages and uh, sure enough, they ended up in Memphis and had to go ship them from Memphis back to Bardstown. So, you know, that's just a, another thing that if you don't update your your addresses with your vendors, uh, things like that will slip through the cracks as well. Um, you know, there's other things that we're trying to work on for the bottling process. So, of course, I believe right now we should have all the material coming in or landed at this point. So, we, I feel very confident. That was six months of turmoil. Hell, maybe more than that, eight months of turmoil back when we were talking about this in, in 2021. Because we were supposed to bottle back in March, right? That was, and we're now hitting July. So, we are definitely a little bit late to the game on that one. But I'm excited to be able to finally get to this point. And I guess the next thing to probably talk about is what we're doing to help finance a little bit of this too. Uh, money goes quick, uh, especially when you have to start spending, um, gosh, I think our freight charge for our container was $24,000. That's just the freight charge. That's not even the actual product, right? The actual product was uh, a little bit less than that. I think it was like 20,000. So it kind of gives you an idea of, you know, the kind of state that we are in when it comes to shipping. If I remember correctly, somebody was talking to me uh, two years ago, if you were in a ship a container over from China, it cost $6,000. So here we are uh, two years later and it costs 4X just because of, you know, fuel surcharges, everything that's going on with inflation and port congestion and all this other kind of stuff. So kind of wrong time, wrong place kind of thing that it just all happened to, to lead into it. But that's where we are right now. Yeah, and too with you know your your expenses keep going even though your bottling was supposed to be in March, but it's got pushed to July. 
Well, your expenses aren't like, well, we'll just hold off till July when you bottle. Nope, they keep going. So all your storage fees, you know, our insurance fees, taxes, state funds, state fees, all these, you know, expenses that you have monthly recurring just keep going. And you're not selling, we're, we're essentially bottling, you know, each batch like once or twice a year, you know, so we're only bringing in revenue <laughs> once or twice a year. It really creates cash flow issues. And um, so, you know, full transparency, we were bleeding through cash trying to get to this bottling date and basically ran out of it. <laughs> and so that's, we're, a, that's uh, a good way to put it. <laughs> and, and I've dealt with this in my other businesses. And, you know, well, it, that's the hardest part with a startup is, you know, figuring out where your cash flow um, valleys are, as I call them, and trying to eliminate those or reduce them. And so, you know, hopefully getting to this bottling run, everything should be okay, you know, and get paid by everyone that we can continue on and have a good st stable financial model. But uh, it is an interesting, challenging time because a lot of things out of our control push, put us in there, but we have great partners that, you know, trust in us and investors and banks and whatnot that, believe in the brand, believe in the financials, you know, that we've put out. So we're, we're going to get through it, but it has definitely been a lot of more uh, added stress, you know, having to wait to, to do all this. And, you know, you're depending on a new manufacturer to send you bottles from a different <laughs> continent and you're just hoping they make it here before that bottling date. Cause if not, then uh, that those uh, financial models really go to shit really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We don't have a whole lot of room for error and what's going on and even more transparency. Gosh, we were short, what, 100, 125,000 is kind of what we were bleeding through that we needed to, to try and true up real quick to be able to pay for some of this stuff. Uh, hopefully that's going to get us through to our bottling date. And then after that, we'll be able to get it out to market. And then you've got net 30, net 60 terms with some of your distributors to be able to kind of turn around and get paid on some of that. Um, and right now we're hopefully going to be at the point where most of it's going to be sold. Uh, we'll be sitting on a little bit of inventory at the end of it, but that's something that actually we had never, I'd never planned on it, but it's actually be a good thing because, you know, typically the, the way this industry works is that you've got to have something in the warehouse. You just can't expect it just bottle and have it be gone and off the distributors and in the market the next day. People need the inventory to be able to do reorders um, but the other thing is, is that we had never actually held back any inventory for ourselves. So knowing that we want to do more events, want to try to do things like Kentucky Bourbon Festival, where now you can sell bottles at the festival, like we'll need to be able to bring inventory there and, and be able to sell that to people and do the same exact thing we talked about at the top of the show. Tell that story and be able to kind of hand sell and have that that experience that you can have right there. So those are the things that you know we're we're currently going through. And I'm just, you know, fingers crossed the everything's going to kind of just uh, go off without a hitch. I guess the other thing that we haven't mentioned about, you know, kind of state of, of what's happening is that our, our oak project has to be delayed just a little bit too, because we thought we had the barrels, we paid for them. And then when we go to get them, they go, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have those barrels. We'll send you your money back. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those things that's like very, very, very frustrating to deal with partners that, you know, have been relatively good. And then all of a sudden it's just kind of getting tougher and tougher to, uh, you know, have some of those conversations where they just keep dropping the ball on you. But the unfortunate thing is we're in a very tough market that our options are pretty limited on what we can do. So 
you know, we just kind of have to just take it on the chin as it comes sometimes. So with everything that you guys were just talking about when it comes to the finances, stuff with the bottling partners, does, you know, I know that you were talking about you're, you're kind of looking to this, this bottling date, you know, I imagine that's kind of the next milestone that you're looking at. But beyond that, have you already been thinking about things that you could change or do different going into the next one to kind of get ahead of the things that you've been seeing with shipping charges, with gas prices, with all the picking of glass from here and there. Have you had time to do any of that? Or have you been kind of thinking about how do we how do we get ahead of those things for the next time and maybe, you know, shave a little bit off from what we've experienced financially from this go round? Financially, I think we're going to still be struggling for a little bit. And that's because we, you know, this time we are scaling up United Rye 6x of what we had done the last time. That takes significantly more capital to be able to release 12,000 bottles than it is to do 2,000 bottles. So the the ability to go and do that is is not that's just like, oh, I can use all my profits from the last time to go pay for this. Like that that's still not enough. And we're going to be scaling this every single year. And as we've said plenty of times on the show before, is that Ryan and I are not taking any distributions other than to pay for our tax burden that we are doing on this. So all the money is going right back into inventory, going back into the business. And as we scale, we're going to have to use that money plus a little bit more money to be able to take care of it. So this year, you know, we're doing 12,000 bottle runs, both of United and United Bourbon. Well, I hope it's 12,000, might be 10. I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but somewhere around there. And then uh, the another year after that, it's going to scale to about 18. And the year after that, I think maybe 18 again. And then it starts getting it to like, what, 20, 30,000. So it, it, it's going to go quick, um, but hopefully we can blink and we'll be there soon. Yeah, I think maybe too, um, we've kind of discussed this, but we're not saying we're going to do it or not, but it maybe instead of doing, um, you know, like one batch per year, um, you know, maybe doing two batches or three or four, you know, different ones to help, you know, give a more consistent cash flow throughout the year and setting kind of like, like doing one big fell swoop, you know, and, and, uh, so it, I think maybe moving forward, it might make sense for us to break down annually, you know, how many bottles do we have? How many batches should we break that up into, you know, so we can kind of get more of a consistent cash flow versus just waiting on one big, uh, one big event, <laughs> you know, to get your revenue for the year. Um, so into, I think, you know, we'll have the, we got some single barrels we're bottling, I think, what, six or seven of those, you know, and that's revenue we weren't really like counting on. So that'll be helpful. I think it's just all learning, you know, we'll kind of figure it out on a year by year basis. But there, we do got to try to figure out a more like stable, consistent cash flow model in, in that regard. Well, at least what our consumers probably care about is that there will be batch numbers now on every single United label. So you'll know exactly what you're getting. We have some sort of I would say cryptic, but we do have a a very kind of like Elijah Craig-esque, kind of like what they do with Barrel Proof on how you're able to figure out the batch number and the bottle, or not the bottle, but the batch number and the year and all that sort of stuff on it. You start putting uh, Ryan's face and the back of the label, so as you drink it down, you'll see his face through the through the back. We should do that. We put that little Easter egg in the label. Yeah, with my thinning hair. Thinning hair. <laughs> you do that. And then, well, let's just have like top views of, the, of our head. And as the years go, we'll just see less and less hair 
on all of our heads up there. Well, I will say too, in, in recent news, it wasn't too long ago that we released an episode that was talking about awards. And that was San Francisco Awards had come in. And we talked a little bit about that. And I think the same day that we released the episode, the Ascot Awards had had, uh, had gone on. So I think both the, the Ascots and the SIP and recently the John Barley, Barleycorn, we, you had mentioned all of those as the ones that you apply to or that you send the stuff away to, but the results hadn't come in yet. And uh, in a pretty good showing from the boys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, gosh, I hate I hate having this conversation because I know there's going to be people out there that go, award shows are all crap. They mean nothing, blah, 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 blah. And you're right. For people that are listening to this and people that listen to the podcast, you're right. You probably don't care about an award. But for the other 99% of people out there, when they're looking through the you know, the halls of, of bourbon and stuff like that when they're at their local liquor store, they need some guidance. They don't know, they don't know what the heck they're looking at. And that's why you have a bunch of people that go, uh, what's, what's a good bourbon for $75. And that's, that's all they know. That's the only question they know how to ask. And so we've got to be able to appeal to that mass market consumer. And that's where award shows come in. And that's just floored. Honestly, I think it was a, Really cool to see that we won Best Bourbon at the 2022 Barley Corn Awards for the spring meat, whatever you call it, whatever it is. Didn't anticipate that happening. I think we always expect to probably get a medal. And I say expect in a very uh, uh, not boisterous way, however, but to come away with Best Bourbon was very unexpected and really cool to see that. And so since that happened, we've been able to every day kind of refresh the seal box inventory and just see it go lower and lower and lower and lower. And I think that is a sign that people do pay attention, no matter what you say. People pay attention to award shows and they they pay attention to the news articles and medias when they get when they get picked up as well. I'm amazed, you know, I'm still amazed, like a lot of folks who never even like, like people even I even know, like they know me personally, were like, oh, I had no idea that you had a bourbon brand. And then I saw this award and I went and got a bottle or, you know, I, try to find one i can't find it but it really just piqued interest of people that like even in my inner circles that knew me but didn't know you know that what was going on and it just shows you like there's so much education and this really helps reduce uh some friction and educating you know when you have an award panel you know say that your bourbon is what is the best one you know in their competition you know that that's fantastic and really helps break down those barriers of like, oh, they're just some, you know, random brand on the shelf. You know, it gives us validation. And I'm like, who, who entered? Nobody must enter. <laughs> and, and so immediately I look at like, as with when we got silver, you know, in San Fran, I was like, well, who do we go against? You know, and then I didn't feel so bad about my silver, but then I went to go and look and I didn't want to feel too good about my, our best bourbon. But then I look and, you know, we're like all the you know, Henry McKenna's and Elijah Craig barrel proofs and those legacy brands that you see every day that been doing it for hundreds of years and, and your small startup blend of three distillates from three different States that have the age that everybody's like, what the hell is this shit? And it beat them blindly. I mean, that's a, that's an amazing uh, feat for us. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't give a, I don't give a shit what people say. I'm proud of it. And, I think uh, we should be very proud, and it's a very cool thing. You should 
Rocky moment. It's our eye of the tiger moment, man. Yeah, you should definitely be proud of it. And this is, you know, this was, I didn't bring that back up to to necessarily allow us to rehash anything with the awards, mainly mainly to, to hit on the same topic that we've been talking about, which is, you know, with the cash flow, things needing to come around, needing to sell those bottles and and only having a couple of times a year right now in order to do that. Having those opportunities where something like that comes up is is great for the brand because it allows, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about in the chat is, you know, shelf talkers. How do we put something together that can go along with this that we can continue to to tell other people about? And it's going to help for those who are less aware of the brand, which is a growing amount of people as they become aware of the brand and as it's a little bit difficult possibly to to find that product. So yeah, you should definitely be proud of that too. And isn't it isn't it kind of a weird phenomenon that we're in where this isn't even just related to the awards, but whether someone gets a silver or a gold, people don't care about that. They're like, wait, did you say something about a best? What was the best? Like yeah. top lists, best lists. People love that stuff, but awards, no. And you know, you take the same thing with like, I don't know, gymnastics or something like that. You know, it, and the Olympics could go on, Winter Olympics, and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who won the silver or the gold, but you get like some TikTok star who does gymnastics and then you hear that they're going up against whoever you know, was a gold medalist in the Olympics and they're like, oh yeah, I really hope that TikTok person, it doesn't matter the person, one person's trained for forever and went on to the Olympics, right? They're just like, you know, who's the best? Yeah. And that's, that's why listicles and top 10 lists and top fives or, you know, whatever is better than whatever is always the best clickbait that you can find on youtube <laughs> i mean unfortunately we didn't you know cater or tailor any of our shows that way but it's true and and when we talk about the cash flow reasoning of behind this it couldn't have come at a better time only because you know you get something like this and it starts kind of like trickling out little by little and it helps with depletion of inventory that's already existing at stores and that kind of goes back into what i had mentioned before is like okay now we'll have inventory so if this happens you know god fingers crossed this happens again you know we'll be able to satisfy reorders we'll be able to take care of stuff like that because the worst thing that you can do which is i guess the saddest part that we've had in here in Kentucky is that we haven't had our bottles on shelves in what four months, three months, something like that. Like it's been gone. It's not in this. Yeah. So we, we have no presence. So the, what happens when you have no presence, you potentially lose your spot and nobody's going to go back and think to reorder because they know they can't get it. So now we have to rely on our distributor to actually go out and resell it to the stores that had it before or to find new shelves to, to, to kind of fit in because who knows, maybe those, those spots are gone now. So those are one of those things that you know, we've got to get better. Not only it's just a cash flow thing, but it's also, uh, you know, make sure that you're out in the market. You're, you can't, uh, you can't oversaturate it, but you can't be so thin that we, we put ourselves in the same position that, all right, well, hopefully, you know, we're getting ready to drop 400 cases to Kentucky in this next bottling run. I mean, hopefully that lasts us a lot longer than we, we thought before. If they're, if they need to go buy more, we'll be here for it too. I can't tell me people text me and are like, Hey, I saw your award and I went to a liquor store you know, and they, they said they just sold the, like, last two bottles, you know, at various Cox's smokers around town or this and that. And I was I was like, man, this sucks. You know, we can't really – it's like we're winning – you know, this award is fantastic, but, you know, the people that are, you know, finally learning about it, they, they can't go experience it. But hopefully it stays fresh in their mind, and we're really close to our bottling date. So it's, you know, fresh still, you know, about a month or two from that. So we can really, like – 
capitalize on that momentum we we built with the the award season and two we can promote it all year long because we got the tro- trophy for one year yeah it's true <laughs> we got the chip we got the ship baby one thing i did like about the barley corn because you know even i had some friends be like well did you win like best bourbon under six years or four years or this you know like with san francisco and Ascot, you have a lot of different cast categories but from what i saw it was just like nope best bourbon you know regardless you know so that was that that made it really cool as well not to take away from that little bit but what does that uh timeline look like from bottling that we'll start seeing that start trickling back out into the markets well hopefully once we bottle then it should be gone the next week and in distributors hands so as soon as we bottle i would say you have about a two to three week lag and then from there it's it should be on shelves but once it's in the distributor's hands, it's up to them to actually start going out, selling it, and getting it on the retail shelves. And then after that, it's up to us to help the marketing engine do its thing and be able to continue pushing and and potentially doing a road show where we can go and talk about this in key cities and key markets and stuff like that. Um, but there's a there's a lot of cool ideas that we have sort of spinning in our heads right now about what we can do to try and, uh, you know, help the marketing engine because we saw how well it worked at Pursuit Palooza. So how can we recreate that magic and without having to, you know, be on a plane three days a week to be able to do that um, everywhere. So we want to make sure that we're, we're you know, conscious of our other obligations of work, uh, actually, because everybody knows at this point, this is not our real jobs. We still have day jobs. So conscious of our, our other obligations as well as family and everything like that too. Yeah, so we'll be... You know, one thing we want to do, I think, is reach out to, you know, whiskey clubs that were in states that are were currently distributed in. And if we kind of want to walk them through, you know, a guided tasting virtually, that was very popular during COVID. But it's also still a lot of whiskey clubs and we like doing them as well because you can do it in the comfort of your own home and at the kids are bed. You don't have to, you know, go to go somewhere. So we're really going to hit them up and try to do a lot of virtual stuff as well um, to, cause I, I've done a few of those and those work, you know, those work really well. I think the biggest thing we took away from Palooza was even our biggest fans still weren't like believers of the brand yet to take a chance on the bottle. And that was shocking, but that was a good wake up moment that we have to like educate, tell our story even better and resonate with people to give us a try versus just relying on our, awesome platform that we've built with the podcast and our audience with that, but that we, we got to push a little harder and relate that story even more so. And not run out of money in the process. (laughs) And not (laughs) run out of money in the process. (laughs) So one of the other exciting things that we have yet to widely announce, I think there's some, you know, we'll, we'll put it in the comments every once in a while when people ask about it. And that is, where can I get these bottles in Ohio? Well, I'm happy to say that we are opening up the state of Ohio for the next round of United and United Rise. So there'll be 275 cases of each going into the state. And I can't tell you exactly where they're going to go. I just know that we are shipping to two different warehouses. And then from there, a broker decides where they all go. Um, I'll tell you what, though, the state of Ohio has been one fickle I'll hold my expletive from it because it is not the easiest thing to get into a uh, a control state because the way that it typically works is that you go, hey, X distributor of X state, would you like to buy our bottles? Sure. How many would you like to buy? Oh, Y amount of cases. Here you go. They go pick them up, 
they bring them back to their warehouse. They go and sell them. 30 days later, you get a check in the mail. That's the way things work there. Ohio, on the other hand, you not only do uh, you have to apply to the state, you have to go through essentially a, an application process to explain why you believe that your product should be in the state. And then it goes through a, a, a whole board that gives it a stamp of approval. And you have to get you know a different, uh, essentially a code assigned to you. And that code now has to be printed off on a sticker and put on the side of a box. That code has to be scannable for a, a particular kind of barcode, not only just for the UPC, but also like a SCC ID. I don't even know what it is, but I figured out a way to make one of those things up. And so not only have to do added stuff into the packaging of it, but there's even more when it comes to uh, getting paid because once it goes into those warehouses, and by the way, I have to ship it. I have to actually call the carrier and get the shipment out from our bottling center into the warehouses. That's nothing that I've ever done before. So now I've got to go and figure out LTL freight companies to be able to ship all these uh, finished goods and stuff like that. So uh, there's another one to kind of add to the list uh, of new skills that I'm starting to obtain. Uh, you know, the other one is after it goes to the warehouse and then a broker finally gets it to a store shelf, you don't get paid until that bottle is sold from the store. So that is a, a long tail of being able to get paid from the state. And I don't know how many more control states we're going to open up. So Ohio, we did it for you, but anybody else in the control state, don't. Uh, you know, count your chickens before they hatch because it might be a while till we do that. So we'll start hitting some more of those neighboring states that make it a little bit easier for distribution. But fortunately for yeah. Ohio, you can go to the Ohio Liquor website and it will show you a map where Pursuit will be. So it should be relatively easy to see if it's somewhere near you by doing that. True. Yeah, that's been one frustrating kind of challenging thing too is like we know we're in certain markets where there's bottles available, but we have no idea where they are <laughs> and you try to work with your distributors and be like, okay, where do we have product? Where can we, how can we help you get people interested in it? You know, and they're just like crickets. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> that's the hard part about being a brand of our size is like, you're grateful that they took you on and you know, you want to have a good relationship, but it, it it's trying to figure out how can we help them help us, help you know help me help you and all of the above it's just kind of goes in to this black hole and you're like okay where are these bottles how can we get people to them and whatnot so but anyway we'll be in ohio so that's we'll be in ohio sorry hey, yeah. go buckeye oh yeah i owe. i'm a buckeye fan for from now on so i'm looking forward to this product being on a best bourbon to pair with a buckeye list Interesting again tonight, guys. Thanks so much for talking about where we are currently when it comes to finances, bottling partners, and new markets and everything in between. And again, congrats on the barley corns. I think that's super exciting, something you should definitely be proud of. Thanks so much. Subscribe and tell a friend if you have not already to the podcast. And however you found us, we're so glad that you're here as we get a behind-the-scenes look with the Pursuit Spirits brand. Reminder, if you have episode topics you want to bring to our attention or if you have questions you want to bring up to the guys, you can send us an email, podcast at pursuitspirits.com. Until next time, everybody, we'll see you all later. Later.